Hello, humans. Welcome to Ish Matters, where I talk about things that matter, from mental health to politics to current issues. I'll be drawing upon very personal experiences, academia, and a diverse selection of opinions to create these sometimes hard and uncomfortable podcasts. Because I believe it's through discomfort that we grow and discover. So get comfortable. We're about to get uncomfortable. All right, all right, everybody, grab a snack. We're about to talk about the psychological and physiological effects of malnutrition. And this is a continuation of the last episode, so if you have not heard it, go hear it. We will be drawing upon Tabitha Farrar's book, Rehabilitate, Rewire, Recover, again. We'll also be drawing upon some scientific research, specifically the Minnesota Starvation Experiment, which you can find the link to just online, it's free, and a little bit of my own experiences. All right, so let's talk about it. What happens when your body has less energy coming in? How does it continue functioning and surviving? Well, your body is really smart and it economizes. And let's think of calories as currency. So you have less money and you need to budget. So you're gonna basically spend less money on everything and anything you can before you start cutting things out. So the first thing that happens is reduction of metabolic rate. So your metabolism or all the chemical reactions and processes in your body will start occurring with less ATP or less energy. And so you will require less energy to function. Running a human body requires a lot of energy to function optimally. So of course, over a prolonged period of time, it will no longer function at optimal capacity, but it will still keep you going. And it is truly miraculous, I will say, and truly amazing how well your body can adapt to extreme circumstances and maintain functioning throughout extreme conditions. But when it's prolonged and when this caloric deficit goes on for years, maybe, or even months if it's very extreme, things will start to happen in the body further than metabolic um, decrease. And so what happens when that's not enough? How does your body economize now? Well, it needs to start cutting things out. And the way it does that is by shutting down systems that are not vital to survival. The first thing to be impacted is your endocrine system. So that's all the thyroid hormones. Think of insulin, testosterone, leptin, neurotransmitters such as dopamine and serotonin. They all decrease in production and secretion because they take a lot of energy. And your body doesn't really, really, really need them to survive. So your body instead increases ghrelin and cortisol. Now, ghrelin is kind of the opposite of leptin. Leptin is your fullness cue or your fullness hormone, and ghrelin is your hunger hormone. And so your body's like, okay, you don't need this fullness anymore. You need ghrelin because you need more energy. So it will increase your ghrelin. You will constantly feel hungry at first. At first, keep that in mind. We'll talk about losing your hunger cues later. And it will increase cortisol drastically. And this increase will continue over time and will become more severe. Now, cortisol is your stress hormone, alerting your body that something is wrong. Something is wrong internally or externally, and at this point, it's both. It thinks it's in famine, and it thinks your body is going to die. So these changes result in less heat production, which is why you feel cold all the time if you are losing weight and if your metabolic rate decreases. And when severe, your body can actually go into hypothermia. You can have a slower heart rate, hypothyroidism, and eventually your glands will shrink. Those glands that produce these hormones, if they're not producing these hormones and if they're not being put to use, then they shrink because your body is very smart at using its energy. So second, as we said, your cortisol increases, so you begin to live in a stress response. 
And what this means is that you're more irritable, you're paranoid, you're hyper alert, you're hypersensitive, you're devoting all of your sensory energy to finding a potential food source. And with such high levels of cortisol, you're experiencing this brain fog and food obsession and any noise, light, interaction, task, responsibility can be extremely, extremely stressful and difficult to bear because you really don't have any energy to devote to those things. And I remember for me, I mean, like, at my worst, any noise or light was extremely disturbing. I mean, I would, like, put my head down. I would walk with my head down because even looking at things was too much energy. I, like, couldn't, you know, comprehend it all. Um, Light, like, really bright lights, I couldn't handle them. They, like, hurt my head. They caused extreme headaches. I wanted to sit in darkness all the time because that was easier. And so you also become hyper alert and paranoid. And so you're like super defensive too. And we'll talk about attitude changes, but you're super defensive because everything seems like a threat at that point. And that's not your fault. That's just your body living in a stress response and your cortisol levels being extremely high. And so this stress response doesn't only affect you and make your life very difficult, but it affects the people around you. And Farrar describes this as having the attitude of a bratty teenager all over again. So people have expressed becoming extremely mean and impatient and hurtful, selfish, defensive. You know, everything that threatened their ability to move more and eat less was treated as danger, danger. So you just fought it as hard as you can, as mean as you can. And people can say things and do things completely out of character. I mean, the sweetest people can become so rude, so vicious. And I'm one of them. I mean, I love my family. I love people. But I, I mean, I don't have such good recollection of my worst moments because it's very hard to form memories when you're malnourished, so you don't really remember it all when you're nourished. But the memories I do have, I still cry sometimes. I think back to what I said and did to the people I love most, the people who are trying to help me and take care of me, and I'm overwhelmed by guilt. And the thing they teach you in treatment is you are not your illness. You're not to be held responsible for the things your illness made you do. The lying, the cheating, the defensiveness, the yelling, the hurting people. You know, that wasn't you. That was your body malnourished, freaking out, not knowing what the hell to do. And not really, you know, you're not really paying attention to what you're doing to people. You're just on this hyper stress response of just like, get out of my way. I need food and obviously you can't have food so you're just in this cycle and you're hearing voices of like fighting your internal battle of like wanting so badly to eat and stop moving but you can't do that because you know you have this mental illness and I apologize so many times like randomly I'd wake up one day crying about what I remember I did and I'd apologize and my family is so supportive they they would always say like that wasn't you we understand just move on forget about it but it still hurts me to think of what I became. So it's not a good time. Um, Another thing that happens is dulling of senses and emotion and depression. Now, inevitably, if you're producing less dopamine and serotonin, you're not really deriving joy from anything in life. So yes, you are more likely to experience depression. And over time, that becomes worse and worse to the point where actually like a very, very, very high percentage, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode, the exact number of anorexics, develop suicidal thoughts and commit suicide. I mean, the suicide rates for 
eating disorders are extremely high, disturbingly high. And that's not only because it's such a hard illness to live with, but it's also because, I mean, you're not producing the neurotransmitters that can make you feel happiness. And your senses are dulled and colors seem less colorful. And that's real. I mean, Tabitha Farrar even mentioned this in her book. And I remember being so shocked that it wasn't just me. Because in recovery, I, I would like tell my sister, I would be like, oh my God, like I'm seeing colors brighter again. And I don't know if that's like real or not, but seriously, things are becoming brighter. Colors and sounds are sounding more beautiful and emotions are coming back that I didn't even know I could feel anymore. And that's true, actually, because all of those things are dulled down as your body tries to conserve energy. Emotion takes energy. Emotion is expensive. Senses are expensive. And so you actually become more sensitive to light and sound and things like that. Yes, it's dulled, but also it becomes too much energy to comprehend also. So I remember in my experience, and a lot of people experience this, is that light actually starts, you know, bright lights start causing headaches. And, um, you know, like a lot of noises around you start causing headaches and irritability and impatience and you start freaking out because it's too much for your brain to handle when all of its sensory energy is devoted to wanting to find food. And you're fighting these voices also. So on top of that, you're just like, please, everybody shut up. I am going through so much right now and you can't understand it and no one around you can understand it, but that is what malnutrition does. And so another thing that happens is possessiveness and hoarding and sometimes kleptomania because your body goes into this like resource conservation mode where you're supposed to be migrating and saving resources and you think you're in a famine. And so you can become extremely possessive over things and even start stealing because you think you don't have enough resources. And again, that's not you and it might completely like not fit with your values or character but again this illness can make you do a lot of things and be a lot of things that you are not again that is not your fault and they tell you that in treatment over and over and over again you can't blame yourself for the things you did when you were ill it's just not you so let's talk about so how do we know all of these things to begin with we know a lot of this from research but especially the the most intense research surrounding starvation and its effects on the human body it comes from the minnesota starvation experiment And this study happened in November of 1944. It started then where 36 young men volunteered at the University of Minnesota in an experiment studying the psychological and physiological effects of starvation. Physiologist Ansel Keys uh, conducted this study and kind of ran it and chose single males who demonstrated good physical and mental health. They were pretty fit. They um, were pretty happy. They didn't have wives or kids or anything so they were kind of like willing to go all into the study and they were basically called to lose 25% of their normal body weight. So they spent the first three months of the study eating a normal diet of 3,200 calories and that may sound like a lot but for um I apologize for a male who was active and they made them do a lot of work 3,200 calories is just maintenance. That's what they needed to just stay alive and maintain their weight. So after those three months, they spent six months in semi-starvation, eating 1,570 calories a day. And so that was divided between breakfast and lunch. They didn't eat dinner. And that was semi-starvation where they were losing a lot of weight. 
Then they had a restricted rehabilitation period of three months eating two to three thousand two hundred calories a day, which was less than what they needed, but it was to find out what your body does when you slightly increase calories after starvation. Finally, for an eight-week unrestricted rehabilitation period, there were no limits on caloric intake. They wanted to find out what a person would do when they finally come out of this starvation and malnourishment. What, what would they do with all the food and resources if they had no limitation? So what did their diet look like? Well, it looked like what a normal diet would look like in 1944. It was bread and macaroni and vegetables and potatoes. Cheap stuff. And the men were required to work 15 hours per week in the lab, walk 22 miles per week, and participate in a variety of educational activities for 25 hours a week. And throughout the experiment, the researchers measured everything from their psychological status, their physiological status, um, what was happening inside of their body, what they were thinking about, feeling, everything. So during the semi-starvation period, where they were restricted to 1,570 calories a day, which is very low for what these men actually needed, they experienced very, very significant decreases in their strength, stamina, body temperature, heart rate, sex drive, and happiness, basically. Their psychological effects were so intense that hunger made them obsessed with food. They would dream about food and fantasize about it, read about it, talk about it, savor the two meals a day like it was their last meal because your brain thinks it is when you're in starvation. They also reported irritability, fatigue, depression, apathy, feeling absolutely no emotion towards anything but food, and they even reported feeling like a decrease in mental ability. They couldn't focus well on anything because they were so obsessed with food, and they reported like attention difficulty and just all the things I mentioned about like being sensitive to like noise and being irritable when you when you hear people eat or see people eat. So what happened to their metabolism? It slowed down dramatically, but then obviously they were still losing weight. They like started losing weight a lot and then kind of their weight loss basically like decreased a little bit and then they continued losing weight after like their metabolic decrease wasn't enough for their body to keep them going. So their blood volume dropped 10% and their heart shrank in size and they developed edema. So those were the like most dramatic effects after two months of the, of the semi-starvation. And edema, if you don't know what that is, it's water retention. It's your body's way of like saying, well, we need at least water because you're not eating enough. And so sodium is going down. So you're not retaining enough water. Also, your bladder becomes weaker. So you start using the bathroom more frequently and you're losing more and more water. So you retain more water. The skin uh, of these men became coarse, rough, dry, uh, hardened, their hair follicles hardened, they developed lanugo, and if you don't know what that is, that's like fuzz all over your body, and that's your body trying to warm you up because you're so cold and starved, and they became sore and dizzy and had reduced coordination. Some of them would pass out, some of them would have ringing in ears, and some of them had whitening of their eyeballs and the blood vessels, and actually the blood vessels in their eyes shrank. Some of them had decreased like vision abilities. Uh, so a lot of changes happened and it was very, very scary. But we use this research a lot in, in kind of eating disorder rehabilitation because now we know what happens to the body and how we can treat it from this study. 
so despite all these changes, the men, like, they were still going in the study, but they didn't perceive themselves as excessively thin when they lost 25% of their body fat. In fact, they started seeing everybody else as fat and them as normal. And that kind of plays into the body dysmorphia that I talked about last episode and how your brain and insula basically give you a false representation of you and your surrounding environment when you become malnourished. So these men actually didn't think they were anorexic, which if you look at pictures from the study, they were extremely malnourished. They were all bone and it was very, very disturbing, but they couldn't see it when they had reached a malnourished state. And none of them had come in with body dysmorphia issues prior to the study. So yes, they were committed to the study, but after a specific amount of time, they started cheating. They started having this uncontrollable urge to seek out food and steal it and grab it and hide it under their pillow. And again, that's not their fault. That's just your brain going into conservation mode. And so Keys basically developed this buddy system to keep them on track and chaperones eventually because the buddy system wasn't enough. Keys also allowed unlimited amounts of chewing gum, water, and black coffee. And oh, the men took advantage of them. They chewed as many as 40 packs of gum a day and downed an average of 15 cups of coffee. And I can tell you from my experience, I ran on caffeine just as hard. You try anything to fill you up and get that sense of energy so you can move, move, move and survive without food. So let's talk about their mental apathy because this was bothering a lot of the men when they came into psychologists. They all said they had strong political opinions and were very involved in political affairs because again, this was like world war time and they were very interested in the news and things like that. But as they became hungrier and hungrier, they said all of these things became irrelevant to them. Even romance and sex lost their appeal and they actually had them watch movies with with very, you know, normal slight sex scenes where the men would just be like, actually, we focused more on the food scenes than that. And we don't think about women at all. The men started obsessively reading cookbooks, staring at pictures of food with an almost like pornographic obsession, they called it. They said they would look at food and just fantasize and like sexualize it almost because it was such a big deal to them. And some of them even started collecting utensils and like putting them under their pillows, which is very strange, but anything related to food, your body's like conserve, conserve, conserve. And so weird things can happen. And honestly, I remember myself and a lot, a lot, a lot of people experience this when they're hungry or malnourished or in a caloric deficit. I was obsessed with watching what I eat in a day videos. And I can't believe those are a thing on YouTube, but apparently they, they're very popular. And I'm pretty sure that 90% of the people who watch them are people who are hungry, okay? Mentally or physically, they are hungry. And so I would watch them all day, every day, just watch people eat because I couldn't. And I'd watch people eat donuts and fried chicken and stuff their faces until they couldn't stuff their faces anymore. And I'd feel a sense of satisfaction because I knew I wanted to do that. That's all I wanted to do. And I would run up and down grocery aisles. I mean, I was obsessed with grocery stores. I still love grocery shopping, but I was obsessed. Any opportunity to go to a grocery store just to look at food was really my main like, if you could trade a million dollars for a grocery store trip, I would choose the grocery store trip. I just wanted to look at food. I wanted to be around food. I wanted to see food. I wanted to see people eating food. I wanted to read cookbooks. I wanted to 
read recipes, just everything related to food I wanted. And I won't disclose any names just for privacy reasons, but I remember when I was in the rehabilitation center, I would see patients doing that. And I had kind of surpassed that stage when I had entered the rehabilitation center. So it, it kind of hit me how weird it was when people would just like open magazines and find a picture of food and rip it out and put it in their pocket, like very secretively. And I just feel like that's so strange, but your malnourished brain just functions very strangely and very differently. And so back to the men, um, they started also developing weird eating habits, which are very, very, very common in anorexia. I saw this a lot. I experienced it a lot. We talk about it a lot in treatment. So some of these include um, like your heightened sense of taste. So anything really bland can taste amazing and you have to linger over it. You have to savor every bite because it's like you're never going to have it again. And so it became ritualistic for them. And this happens with a lot of anorexics where they dilute their food. They dilute their food with water or something to make it seem like it's more. They would cut things into very, 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 very little pieces and take one little bite at a time. They'd keep it in their mouth for an extremely long period of time so they can savor every moment of it. Um, They took a very long time finishing a meal because they'd take breaks thinking if they took longer, it would feel like they ate more. And um, they would start, like, doing weird things with mixing their food. And some of them had issues with mixing. Some of them needed to mix everything. You just develop weird ritualistic habits with your eating. And so now we talked about a little bit of the physical effects. Of course, there are many, many more. Um, Let's not even begin to talk about how uncomfortable, let's talk about it actually, how uncomfortable it is being extremely underweight. I mean, there are bruises everywhere, really. You can't sit down for a long period of time. Any chair hurts because no amount of pillows in the world can save you from getting some bruises on your hip bones and spine, and I'm sorry if that is a disturbing image, but it is true. You can't sleep because you're so stressed out and no amount of melatonin can fix that, and you can't lay down because everything starts hurting. You can't lay down on your side. Everything feels like it's breaking, and eventually, after a long period of time, your organs start to catabolize, which means once you've run out of all of your fat, once you've run out of most of your muscle, your body has to start eating itself to generate energy to survive. This didn't occur in the Minnesota starvation experiment, so let's leave that aside because they didn't get the men to that stage where they had organ damage, but with a lot of people who experience anorexia, anorexia nervosa, in a very severe way, your body starts to eat itself and your organs start to shrink and they start to fail. Um, and disclosing some energy, some information about myself, I mean, my kidneys they started to catabolize and I remember going to the hospital and they were telling me that like if I had kept going you know I would have to need dialysis for the rest of my life you know kidney failure renal failure and my liver was inflamed and you know my heart rate was very very slow and it was very faint and I you kind of become like this vegetable eventually yes you have that initial phase of move 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 but you can't move anymore forever 
I mean, after you've run through literally every place in your body that you can derive energy from, where are you going to derive energy from? You can't, okay? And yes, your body can start to catabolize, but that energy is literally just being devoted to keeping your heart beating and oxygen and blood flowing to your brain. And that is even extremely difficult at that state. I mean, I couldn't really do much. I wasn't really a functional human being anymore. And it was really sad now that I think back to it. And the more I recover, the more I rediscover life. And now it's kind of getting normal again. But I remember in the beginning of recovery, everything was a big deal again. Me gesturing, I couldn't do that. Me sleeping, I couldn't do that. Me thinking, actually thinking, having thoughts that are not food thoughts was insane to me. Being able to write again, being able to smile again, being able to go on tangents. I remember I would call my friends and be like, whoa, I just had a random thought. Can you believe that? And I'd be sitting with my mom moving my hands and I'd just stop and be like, whoa, I'm gesturing. Can you believe that? And as sad as it is, I mean, you lose all of those things with your eating disorder. You lose your relationships. You lose your values. You lose your interests. You lose your passions. You lose so much and the longer it takes hold of you the more severe those consequences will be and recovery is so difficult but it's so worth it i mean i'm not gonna lie to you and say you're gonna wake up one day and you're gonna start eating more and then everything's gonna come back online hell no hell no i experienced months and months of digestion issues and i'm talking digestion issues that set me to the er multiple times I'm talking years of fixing your digestion with aids and medications and reintroducing foods. I'm talking pain where food would sit in your stomach for hours and hours and hours because your body stopped producing the enzymes needed to break them down. Food not going through your intestines because your intestines had catabolized so much that they don't even digest food anymore because they haven't had to for a very long time. So your body's like, I don't need that. I'm going to shut it down. I'm going to eat it, literally, in the most literal of senses. I am sorry, again, that's disturbing, but it's true. And man, like you start experiencing emotions and you're like overwhelmed by them because you're feeling them for the first time. And you're like, oh, happy, sad, love. What is this? I'm crying all the time for no reason, but like I'm happy. Um, I love you so much I'm crying like it's it's very strange it's very strange and for women the return of your menstrual cycle and for men the regulation of your testosterone you can feel like bits of anger here and there where you're like what's this and for women extremely emotional because you're regaining your estrogen and hormonal balances and cycles and recovery takes time it takes a lot of time and the body heals before the mind does they keep telling us that, yes, the body needs years and years and years to heal. I mean years to fully, fully, fully heal and fully trust you again. That's the key. Like trust that you're going to feed it. Trust that it's not going to go into famine. And the mind heals even later. I still struggle with urges and thoughts. I still have bad days. I still have body dysmorphia and it's not as bad as it was when I was extremely ill but I still have it I still struggle so much so hard and I think that this struggle is going to be a lifelong battle and I'm sure it'll get 10 times easier 100 times easier but it's still going to be there but it's worth it 
it's worth fighting and it's worth regaining your health back and it's worth regaining your life back. I mean, who wants to live a life that's basically just obsessing over food and not having enough energy to think or feel or listen or do things or just experience anything in life, anything at all? Your brain is shutting down and your body's shutting down and you just don't have enough energy to be alive in this world, to really experience the world you're living in. And the world is so beautiful. And yeah, it's hard sometimes. And yeah, shit can be bad sometimes. But there are good times that make it all worth it. And it's an ebb and it's a flow, as I always say. And that ebb and that flow keeps us moving, keeps us in a current. We're on a wave and we just have to ride it up and down. And when we're down, remember the ups and how they're going to come one day. And when we're up, remember that everything is temporary and stay humble and expect a down. Don't prepare for it, but expect it so that when you get there, you just know that things will come back up again and you're hopeful and you're ready. Okay, I think we covered the sum of the main psychological and physiological effects of starvation. Um, I will not talk a lot about my recovery. I won't talk so much more about my rehabilitation and my journey right now. I just wanted to give you more of an idea of what happens inside of your body, not as a scare tactic, but just as know this before you try to go on a diet or starve yourself. And I don't mean starve yourself as in just completely not eating. Starving yourself can be just restricting. Don't restrict yourself. That can go really terribly. And as we know, we don't know who's predisposed to an eating disorder or not. We don't know if disordered eating can lead to an eating disorder or not. And it's very easy for that to occur. For disordered eating, for dieting, for normal daily restriction. That's not normal. But daily restricting that you think is normal. Like, oh, I won't have that because I already had a big dinner. Or, oh, I can't have that donut because it's bad. That can turn really dangerous really fast. So please, please, please uh, take all of what I said into consideration the next time you feel like you need to drop your calories to what a toddler needs, which is what a lot of women are doing nowadays. Um, don't listen to Instagram what I eat in a days or TikTok what I eat in a days. They're extremely low in calories and they're not realistic and you will just end up binging or hopefully not developing an eating disorder. But if you do, um, it's a lot of pain. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm just rambling now. But this was a fun episode. I hope you learned a lot. I'm glad you tuned in. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, and I will see you next time.